Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.19 a.m. Central Daylight Time. That's right. We've clicked over into the abyss that is the hell of the time change. So if you're feeling weird for like the next three weeks, that's why. Honestly, I swear to God, that's why. People walk around thinking that these time changes don't do anything, but I'm here to tell you, man, they mess up your body clock. And when your body clock's messed up, everything else gets messed up. And it takes longer than you think to acclimate to a single hour time change. Luckily... Luckily, the idiots over there in the Senate unanimously approved a bill to do away with the time change. Sadly, it looks like they've settled on the time that wasn't, i.e. they just want to lock in what time this daylight savings time hour now. So like next year, if it gets passed, it's still got to go through the House of Reps and then it's got to be signed by the dude that sits behind the desk in some kind of round office or something like that in, in either event, if it does pass, we'll be stuck at this time. However, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I would rather they go back to, to standard time because that's where we all were. But honestly, as long as we can stop setting the clocks forward and back, I, I would be, I've been waiting for this moment. And the fact that the Senate passed it unanimously gives me hope that it's going to pass the House of Representatives and then go get signed by uh, What's-His-Face, whose son appears to be in quite a bit of trouble, but I'm not going to talk about that. It is, however, March the 21st, 2022, and this is episode 560 of Bitcoin and Sean Culkin last week. Yeah, I know. I'm reading something from last week. I had a thread on Twitter that I think is important for us to read. If you don't remember Sean Culkin, uh, that would be Culkin, C-U-L-K-I-N-2-2 on Twitter. Sean Culkin's football player who got, who announced with pretty good fanfare that he was going to be accepting his paycheck uh, from the NFL in Bitcoin and then subsequently got cut from the team. And I think he's just going to go into blissful retirement at this point, which is too bad. I mean, it really is. I hate to see, you know, an athlete's career get cut short, but apparently he had a couple of injuries that just weren't going to heal. And he wasn't, he just wasn't going to be able to perform on, on the field, but it's always sad when somebody who's trained ever since, you know, junior high through high school, college, you know, gets into the NFL, which is a lot of, which is a big dream of a lot of people, gets his career cut short like that. But he's got some some great things to say in this thread, and I want to read it here. Uh, This was back on March the 15th, by the way. I was going to be the first NFL player in history to receive 100% of my salary in Bitcoin. Now I'm retiring and building a wellness company. So technically, I was the first. I mean, I was getting 100% of my off-season payments in Bitcoin, and Till I got the dreaded call no player wants to get, the axe. Yep, I got released and I really struggled. I essentially had an identity crisis. Emerging from the abyss, I realized just how fragile I was during that time. Looking back, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. I first knew I was retiring last October ever since my Achilles injury. The last few years of constant pain and limited range of motion made it difficult to maintain my passion for football. I seriously contemplated retiring from the NFL way back in 2020. <clears throat> I learned I had to mourn the life I knew as an athlete. Every athlete dies twice. 
which is another thread for another time. I realized my wellness routine had been programmed for me while being a professional athlete and my mental health and well-being suffered when I didn't have a plan in place. I believe consciously choosing a proof-of-work lifestyle can lead to a life of wellness. Proof-of-work lifestyle means you have a plan to make the important things in life important again, physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually, and intellectually. You build up each of these pillars every day, even in small ways. Simple in theory, but why is it so hard to do consistently? My passion is to share what I've learned in the hope and the firm belief that I can positively impact others. I'm going all in on entrepreneurship and building this product. When I reflect on my life, every impression has played a part in bringing out this level of passion. And from that, I feel overwhelmed with gratitude. Thank you to all that believed in someone just trying to find a way to find a way. Stay tuned and join in to follow my journey. I aim to be transparent and share what I've learned along the way. Be well. So there you go. That's Sean Culkin's farewell address, I suppose. And he's not the only one that's going through this kind of shit. I've been going through this for the last couple of years um, for various reasons that I won't get into. But I, it, it's, it's actually gotten so bad <laughs> mentally and spiritually for me that I have literally picked up the meditations uh, written by Marcus Aurelius, which was one of the latter... Uh, Well, I won't say latter. Let's just say middle of the Roman Empire uh, uh, emperors. And he did a pretty good job for a couple of decades, but uh, he's a stoic. And I got to the point where I was like going, I'm going to need to figure out some way to reset the way that I think about everything because I think I've been doing tons of damage to my own soul by thinking in negative terms and things like that. And honestly, after reading, you know, just the first few books, because uh, they're, they're, back in the day, there was no such thing as chapters. People wrote, you know, whole books. And this one was, is, is sort of uh, written that way. It's not, it's not long. Okay. So just because it says book one, book two, book three, doesn't mean you're reading a tome every single time. It's just, that's the way that they were organized. And, you know, about middle of the way through book four. I started realizing what's been going on. And honestly, when I read Sean Culkin's thread here, I, I get the exact same energy from him as to how is it that you're thinking about loss? How is it that you're thinking about uh, change? Uh, there's actually a book about professional change called uh, Who Moved My Cheese? I have not read it yet, uh, but it's been suggested to me on several occasions that uh, that I do read it because when someone moves your cheese, it's like, stop moving my cheese. I, I need to actually eat that fucking cheese. I don't need you to continuously move it around the playing board. Okay. So <clears throat> I'm just saying that when I read this thread from Sean, it reminded me a lot of some of the stuff that, that I'm, I'm having to deal with. And honestly, I get I get the same feeling of his conclusion that this probably was the best thing that these are the best things that could possibly happen is somebody moving your cheese. You get complacent. You sit in, you, you sit at a particular job for too long. And next thing you know, you're, you're just a zombie and maybe getting blown out of your chair with a stick of dynamite is the only way to move forward because we only get one life. We don't, we got this one. And one of the things that Marcus Aurelius was talking about in book four was you don't have the past. That's a memory. And you sure as shit don't have the future because you don't know what that is. The only thing that you have is today. This, this particular instant, this particular time, that's it. And you could just be dead in 40 seconds from now. Massive heart attack, brain aneurysm, something like that. You could just literally be gone and you can't grab the past. You don't know the future. All you got is today. It was, so what are you going to do today? What am I going to do today? Well, <clears throat> I'm going to give you some news. Let's start with El Salvador. El Salvador seems to have delayed its volcano bonds launch. 
before I get into this one from David Atlee out of Cointelegraph, I do want to say a couple, uh, at least one thing about the volcano bonds. I, generally speaking, when a financial product is going to come online, there's news about it. And one of the things that has disturbed me greatly about the El Salvador bonds is that I barely know what the, what the hell's going on with this thing. I, I literally, I mean, I, I keep like back, like last month I was going, when are these things supposed to be released? You'd think that there would be a solid date that everybody knew and everybody kept tweeting about or writing stories about or something like that. No, I, I finally had to just flat out ask and somebody's going, oh, well, it'll be between March 15th and March the 20th. And I go, well, thank God somebody knows what the hell's going on. Because I, I find it fascinating that this thing is so mired in in uh, in occlusion. I it's bizarre, but apparently they have delayed this bond. Let's see if David Atlee can tell us what the hell's going on here. <clears throat> Considering the absence of any official announcements, El Salvador's government seems to have delayed the launch date of the so-called volcano bonds. Earlier, Salvadoran finance minister Alejandro Zelaya has been reassuring the public that the project would start by March the twentieth. Speaking on a local TV show on Friday, El Salvador's finance minister once again announced the launch of so-called volcano bonds and that they should take place somewhere between March 15th and the 20th, the same dates that had been declared during his previous TV appearance on, in February. Albeit this time, Zelaya mentioned the unstable political situation in the world is one of the factors that could influence the planned timing. The project of a coin-shaped Bitcoin city at the base of the Catachuga volcano was introduced by El Salvador's president in November 2021. In Bukele's vision, the construction of this new town with the crypto mining operations and minimal taxes would be financed by the issuance of $1 billion in bonds. These bonds, which have since become famous as Bitcoin bonds or volcano bonds, are supposed to last 10 years and pay 6.5% annual interest to their holders. In December of 2021, Samson Moe, Chief Strategy Officer at Blockstream, El Salvador's partner in the bond launch, revealed that the platform had already received $300 million worth of soft commitments, mostly from Bitfinex Wales. Responding to Cointelegraph's request in February, Fernando Nikolic, Marketing director at Blockstream assured that the company would make an announcement regarding the matter in the first quarter of 2022. As the Financial Times reported, the necessary legislation to launch the bond sale still didn't pass through the Salvadoran parliament. Cointelegraph sent the press request to the presidential administration of El Salvador. As Nikolic informed Cointelegraph, Blockstream doesn't know about the new dates of the launch because Blockstream is not directly working with the country of El Salvador to offer the EBB-1. Quote, EBB-1 will simply be issued on the Liquid Network, <clears throat> which is operated by members geographically distributed all over the world. Blockstream serves only as a technology provider, so whenever they are ready, they will be able to issue the bond on Liquid the same way anyone else can. End quote. <clears throat> In the meantime, El Salvador's neighboring nation, Honduras, could follow its lead to becoming the second nation in the world to officially accept BTC as a payment method. According to some sources, that follows from Honduran President Zamara Castro's claim that El Salvador shouldn't be the only country escaping dollar hegemony. <laughs> no shit, dude. Especially right now. So, yes, we've got a delay on the volcano bonds. And again... So what's the new dates? Are the bonds undersubscribed? Are they oversubscribed? I I I, I heard I I think it was Samson Mo in fact uh, who is no longer the uh, the well, the chief strategy officer at Blockstream. He resigned last week or possibly the week before. Um, he said like yesterday or the day before that there was, it was already subscribed 1.5 X, but there was no story attached to that. There was, it was just him making a statement. So I don't know. I literally, I mean, I literally, and honestly, none of us really know what the hell's going on with this Bitcoin bond. And it's starting to become kind of embarrassing. So I really wish all these people would get their collective shit together and figure it all out. Now, <clears throat> let's get into this one. This is written by our good friend, uh, Optimus Fields. 
becoming a Bitcoiner is hard until it isn't. And this is his uh, entrance into uh, Citadel 21. And this is from volume 16, by the way. I can almost imagine your thoughts. You just fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and you're thinking, how the fuck am I supposed to digest all this information? How am I supposed to know which crypto I should invest in? Who should I listen to? When should I sell? Where should I buy? Etc. Etc. Well, you're in luck. Here's a few truths you must discover for yourself if you want to become a strong-headed hodler of last resort and not get shaken out by your Bitcoin position. Number one, everyone's a scammer. So you just found out about Bitcoin. Much wow, new paradigms, fat gains, bro. Do yourself a favor, please. Slow your roll, sit your ass down, and read Everyone's a Scammer. Put on the theme music, I'll wait. Number two, hodl don't trade. The art of the hodl is easy once you know why you hodl. In a world where insane kleptocrats make money printer go burr ad infinitum, a hard-capped asset that is verifiably scarce is invaluable. Sell Bitcoin at your peril. You'll never get them back. Remember, there will only ever be one, uh, sorry, 21 million Bitcoin, and we know a few million have been lost. Your future self will thank you. Keep it simple, stupid. Don't trade away your sats. A sat in the hand over two in the bush. Three, can't hodl shitcoin. I know, I know, your shitcoin is different. Your shitcoin is going to change the world. Your shitcoin is faster, more better, more decentralized. It's going to 589, blah, blah, blah. Hate to break it to you, chief. It ain't. Bitcoin was created with no intention of it ever being monetized. It was lit loose onto the internet and human action and free will propelled it into a trillion dollar asset already lasting 13 years. No shitcoin can make this claim. No shitcoin is as decentralized as Bitcoin. Compare Bitcoin's hash power to any other Bitcoin. I'll wait. Nothing comes close. Number four, dollar cost average. I'll assume you're an average person that doesn't have millions just lying around. And if by chance you fit that bill, go balls deep. What else are you going to do? Hold dollars? Lol. But if you don't have money lying around, you'll need to have a disciplined capital allocation strategy into Bitcoin, which is a fancy way of saying, buy a certain amount of Bitcoin every day, week, or month, etc. religiously. Remember, your Bitcoin ABCs, always buy consistently. Price doesn't matter, just buy consistently. So whatever your income is, take a certain percentage of the incoming money and put that into Bitcoin. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. <clears throat> As advised in the richest man in Babylon, take 10% of all money coming in at least and put that into Bitcoin. And with the remaining nine-tenths of incoming money, pay bills, live life, whatever. Trust me, it will be hard to stay at just 10% when you finally start understanding what Bitcoin is. Number five, exchanges eh, ain't wallets. This lesson, if not initially observed, will hurt a lot of people. You should never leave your Bitcoin on an exchange for long-term storage. You should self-custody your Bitcoin as soon as possible. The sooner you hold those private keys, the better. You do know what a private key is, right? You know the 12 or 24 words you wrote down when you created a wallet. Google, if not. Don't get goxed. Exchanges will be the first places governments, hackers, and scammers go to extract wealth from Bitcoin holders. Exchanges must play ball with authorities and your Bitcoin holdings are a stroke of the pen or a mandate away from getting taken by your government or somebody else's for that matter. Add to that the threats of scammers looking for easy honeypots or straight up incompetent exchanges. Your coins are not safe on an exchange for long-term storage. This is still the wild west of finance. So withdraw your coins to a wallet that you own and can verify and have backed up. The revolution is self-custody. As long as you self-custody your coins, Someone has to use extreme force to extract Bitcoin from you. Don't make it easy for them. Protect yourself. Take your coins off exchanges. Number six, use a full node, please. How do you know your Bitcoin you just bought is the real Bitcoin and not some fake shit coin Im imitation? <clears throat> your node verifies that the Bitcoin you received is actually playing by the rules of Bitcoin. It traces every transaction back to the Genesis block, the very beginning, the very first Bitcoin block by Satoshi himself. 
No full node means you trust that you own Bitcoin, but don't trust, verify. Download the time chain, also known as the blockchain, for yourself from the beginning and build from a solid foundation of truth. Peer into the amber heart of Bitcoin, plug into the Bitcoin standard and build. Number seven, ignore the price. We're all here to see number go up, but don't fixate on the price. Zoom out. In time, price dips will be seen as an opportunity and price rises will feel bittersweet. The only number you should focus on is how many sats are under your control. And that number should continue to go up daily, weekly, monthly, and or yearly. Zoom out. How much do you think Bitcoin will be worth in 10, 20, 30 years? Then why do you care about the price, what the price is today? Stack accordingly. We're playing a real life game of hungry, hungry hippos and only a very small emphasis on very emphasis on very small, a very small group of people know that we're playing it. So stack sats and stay humble. Remember, you don't have enough Bitcoin, so stack your balls off. Eight, keep learning. You're never finished. You never arrive. Whether it's studying Austrian economics or learning to code or taking a deep dive under the Bitcoin hood or studying nutrition and farming, you'll never stop learning. Bitcoin is multidisciplined and forever changing as well as changing the world. The world is no longer as it once was. There's always something to learn. There's always something to build. Never stop learning. Never stop building. Bitcoin is a way of life. Reclaim your privacy is number nine. You may or may not be aware, but privacy in today's day and age is damn near non-existent. You post everything you do to social media. You post everywhere you are on the internet. You take pictures and tag all of your friends. There's even social media bulletin boards within payment apps so that you can make witty comments tagged to your bank transactions. Everything is out in the open and the information is there for anyone who wants it, but it doesn't have to be. The Bitcoin base layer is pseudonymous, but totally transparent, meaning your name isn't directly attached to your Bitcoin transactions. But since it's totally open and transparent, there is a possibility of linking your real world identity to your Bitcoin transactions. <clears throat> Whether you should care is entirely up to you, but I will say that there is a possibility for you to take back your privacy whether it's first layer solutions like collaborated spins or second layer solutions like the Lightning Network or Liquid or a combination of all of them. It's up to you to reclaim your privacy on Bitcoin, but it doesn't just stop at Bitcoin. You should be using VPNs and privacy-focused email providers, privacy-focused operating systems, phones, Faraday bags, etc. The tools are out there you will have to put in the work to get the results, but it will be worth it in the end when you're a sovereign son of a bitch, capiche? Number 10, enjoy yourself. What's the point of fuck you money if you don't say fuck you from time to time? Be brave, be bold, be a Bitcoiner. Speak your mind, say crazy things, and if people don't like it, fuck them. I ain't for everyone, but I don't have to care. You can't cancel me, bitch, cause my money is unfuckwithable. <laughs> We've seen it time and time again that when the mob comes to cancel you, they cancel your bank accounts and then ostracize you in public. They can't do that if your entire wealth is in Bitcoin. So think about it. And finally, <clears throat> I hope you enjoyed this article. The accumulated wisdom in this article has cost more than 100 million Satoshis easily. It cost me a personal 70 million sats. So it's easily worth a billion sats of wisdom. Don't take it lightly. We paid our dues. You can be clever and learn from this article from our experiences, or you can put your hand on the stove. It's your choice. But I'll tell you, as someone who's made almost every mistake possible and only survived by stubborn persistence and dedication, at my darkest moment when I thought I almost broke and lost a small fortune of Bitcoin, I wish I had had this information. Quote, you'll be all right. Trust the process. Master yourself. Because the biggest scammer will always be you scamming you. Know thyself, sharpen thyself, and become someone worthy of holding Bitcoin to the moon. Bless up, brothers and sisters. The way is narrow and few follow it. I'll see you all on the other side. And this article was inspired by the awesome Bitcoiners replying to the following tweet from Optimus Stoner Fields, also known as at my underscore living underscore truth. What's one thing you wish you knew before you fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole? And that was on March 23rd of 2020. So he's been kind of sitting on this, uh, the, these uh, tweet replies 
for quite a while. Uh, if you're not following my living truth, you're you're missing out. Again, that is at my underscore living L I V I N underscore truth. Now, <clears throat> as YouTube bars Russian creators, Bitcoin offers a sovereign alternative. This is Mike Hobart writing for Bitcoin Magazine. Who should have the right to deny another the capability to earn an income? Law enforcement? A government? Where is the line and how do we determine when things have been taken, quote, too far? Should any individual or group of individuals actually possess such power? On March the 10th, 2022, an editor of Russian news publication Medusa, Kevin Rothrock, tweeted about a development that will likely have lasting effects and <clears throat> will be felt across the entirety of the internet. YouTube, and by relation its parent company Google, has effectively cut off an entire industry of people from their access to income. What did the Russian people of this industry do to justify this move? Living in the wrong country at the wrong time in history. Also, arguably, trusting the wrong service with their livelihoods. These are the kinds of shortfalls that trends of centralization result in. Overly simplified answer to answers to a vehemently nuanced and complex situation. With one decision, Google has told an entire nation's citizenry that they are not free to earn a living via its services due to the actions of a leader that they are not personally responsible for and under whom many are oppressed. Considering how far-reaching Google services are, what doesn't use Google today or in the very least isn't touched by Google services? What kinds of fallout does this decision have for Russian citizens who have done nothing wrong? Entire industries, content creators, advertisers, and audience all barred in a blink of an eye decision. This goes straight to the heart of the decentralization versus centralization conversation, which in turn is the heart of Bitcoin. There are many systems that do not need decentralization, but this, a situation that involves multinational arbitrage that impacts innocent civilians in a negative way, far more than oligarchs or leaders, is a situation where decentralization is highly valuable. This is a situation that proves just how necessary Bitcoin is. This is where Bitcoin projects get opportunities to move their product and prove their worth. What if, instead of YouTube, these Russian content creators were utilizing Bitcoin TV for their streams and their videos. Could they have been able to completely circumvent such a move? At the very least, they could still get their content up and they could continue to serve their beloved consumers without being censored. Their donations could have been used to supply the delta in their income until a more permanent solution was found. What about social interactions? Not only has Google decided to pull the plug, but so have companies like Meta and TikTok. If Russians were capable of using Bitcoin native network like Zion, where protection of freedom of speech is a keystone, could the damage from such a short-sighted decision have at least been mitigated? Can a company like Zion help pro uh, project doctrines like that of the First Amendment? Could these projects extend such protections of freedom beyond U.S. borders to the point that anyone in the world is capable of benefiting from such radical American ideals? What kinds of profound positive impacts on human rights could have been promoted instead of dashed? This might sound like fairy tales and wishful thinking, but let's not forget the truly groundbreaking effects that simple actions can have on any individual. For example, many by now have viewed the interview of Majid Nawaz with Joe Rogan. 27 minutes into the conversation, Nawaz recounted the profound impact on his view of the world by a human rights organization that fought on behalf of his freedom while he was incarcerated in an Egyptian prison. After spending significant amounts of time and effort in his life in blaming and attacking the Western system that this organization was based in. Even after all of that, this organization still fought for his release because he was not being treated fairly. According to Nawaz, that uh, this shook him so deeply that it changed the trajectory of his life for good. Bitcoin, Bitcoin companies, and the Bitcoin community have the potential to make these kinds of ripples in people's livelihoods and worldviews, to disrupt the systems that allow for such radical abuses of power, and to, at the very least, mitigate the damage that is wrought by the decisions of these centralized systems that are run by such dramatically disconnected leadership. Never before 
Never before, never before has Bitcoin been so necessary. Let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids on fire again. West Texas Intermediate up four and a half points to 109 bucks, y'all. 109.47 to be exact. Brent North Sea likewise up five and a quarter points to $113.58. Natural gas is down three quarters of a point to $4.02. And gasoline up 3.69% to $3.35 a gallon. Gold is up a quarter of a point to 1934 bucks. Silver up over a point to $25.38. Platinum is up almost a point. Copper is down a half point. Palladium is up 1.78 points. Agricultural futures are scaring the living piss out of me right now. Wheat up 7.5%. In case you didn't get that, let me repeat that. Wheat, which goes into everything. Bread, hamburger buns, cookies. Pizza, you name it, you eat it, I guarantee it. Wheat is up 7.5% today. Soybeans up 2, corn up 3, sugar up 2, coffee up 1.7, cotton is up 2.7, and rice, rough rice to be exact, is up 2 points. The only thing that's taken a tumble is chocolate, which is down 0.7 or 0.67%. Uh, Dow is gonna is down 0.44%. S&P is up 0.17. NASDAQ is up 0.1. S&P mini down 0.17. Let's talk about real money, which is also taking a slight tumble. $41,116 at this time. Three, 233,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is 9,700 transactions every hour on the hour with a scant 387,000 Bitcoin being sent in that 24-hour period. That's 16,128 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.66 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.011 BTC or about 450 bucks. Block times are low, nine minutes and 14 seconds. 0.049 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 7.68 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. And with a 2.71% rise in hash rate, we're back up to 215 exahashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator, Dogecoin, 11.9 United States pennies. 11,276 transactions are waiting on seven blocks to clear. Market capitalization of Bitcoin is $781 billion, and that is 6.13% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may buy 21.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,989,629.68. And 3,543.2 of those are locked in Lightning Network, valued at $145.7 million, uh, being run over 20,128 nodes, sporting 85,151 channels that we can see, and 75.3% of all of that's being run over Tor nodes, and that would be 11,577. So that's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. We start this one with Alex McShane writing for Bitcoin Magazine. Top 10 ranked UFC fighter is going to get paid in Bitcoin. The number eight ranked UFC flyweight fighter, Mathis Nicolou, pinned a deal to receive his future fight earnings in Bitcoin through the payroll service Bitwage on March the 21st, 2022. Nikolai, or Lau, is the first Latin American UFC athlete to take a paycheck in Bitcoin. Quote, I'm thrilled to be receiving my earnings in Bitcoin, he stated. As an athlete, I work hard to earn a living for myself, but with rising inflation, I worry that this hard work goes to waste. By using Bitwage to earn Bitcoin, I know that I am securing the future value of my work. End quote. 
<clears throat> Nicolo, a Brazilian native of Belo Horizonte, has come to understand the importance of Bitcoin while the market has seen explosive growth over the past two years in South America due to economic burdens like inflation. Quote, we are very bullish on Bitcoin, Nicolo's manager, Vincius Las Casas commented, and we are looking to spread the Bitcoin gospel with this latest deal, end quote. Alongside the Brazilian fighter, his manager will also be using Bitwage to receive a portion of his wages in Bitcoin. Bitwage is the world's largest payroll, invoicing, and benefits company in the Bitcoin space. Its services allow both individuals and companies around the world to receive their monthly wages in Bitcoin. Bitwage is pioneering the payroll industry with its Bitcoin 401k and Lightning payroll products. Quote, working with Mathis has been a rewarding experience for us, said Bitwage CEO Jonathan Chester. He's an amazing fighter with a champion mentality, end quote. Nicolou is among the latest in a trend of professional athletes pioneering Bitcoin deals. Professional soccer players Archara, there's no way I'm pronouncing this name, and Alex Cognale made similar financial moves in 2021 with Bitwage. MMA fighters in general, and even some of the internationally recognized superstars in the UFC, are paid in lump sums only after their events, much of their pay being contingent on a successful performance and performance bonuses. Many fighters are forced to take on extra jobs outside of their rigorous and time-consuming training regimens just to afford to pay their coaching and recovery teams. The UFC in particular is notorious for undervaluing some of its highest pay-per-view earning fighters with some of its most decorated fighters simply walking away from the organization or seeking and taking on high-paying crossover fight opportunities in boxing. Through Bitwage, fighters like Nicolou can get paid in Bitcoin without the UFC being onboarded to the service. They can focus on training while knowing their savings are secure in Bitcoin. Bitwage's services are available to the broader market as well. So here's how it works. You register with Bitwage and receive a bank account number. Next, you choose what percentage of your paycheck you want to receive in Bitcoin, and then you give the new account number to your employer. Once they send the paycheck, you will receive Bitcoin in an address that you control. If you did not allocate 100% of your wages into Bitcoin in a given pay period, you will receive the rest of the money in your regular bank account. This is exactly how Mathis will be receiving his future payments in the UFC. Quote, Mathis represents our exceptional, or sorry, <laughs> represents our exponential growth trend in Latin America, with people opting to get paid in Bitcoin in order to preserve their hard-earned money, Chester stated. For Nicolou and other MMA fighters who understand the value of hard money and a store of value, Bitcoin is the solution. Bitcoin will preserve their irregular earnings over time when custodied correctly. It allows fighters to alleviate future career uncertainty by providing them with an appreciating sovereign wealth fund. He is currently enjoying a four-fight win streak in the UFC. The deal comes only days before Nicolou's fight on March the 26th against David Dvorak in Columbus, Ohio. Win, lose, or draw, his earnings will immediately be processed by Bitwage and converted into Bitcoin. He explains, quote, I make my money the hard way. I bleed for it. MMA is an intense sport. You put everything you have into it. While I constantly fight on one hand, I have a feeling I am constantly losing money on the other. Then it hit me. Bitcoin is the solution. I worked with Bitwage to create the solution to ensure that my work pays dividends into the future. All right, so Nicolou, uh, you better make sure that once you have said Bitcoin that you get it off of that platform and under keys that you control. Otherwise, a mandate or a pin stroke is just waiting to take it all away from your ass. <clears throat> now, Mike Hobart, writing for Bitcoin Magazine, Bitcoin is a monetary system of integrity. When going through basic training for the Army, the cadre of drill sergeants and general leadership make it a point to effectively ingrain values that I would argue are paramount to any and all mature adults and active members of a society. Values that go above and beyond their effectiveness in a military environment. Values that seem to have been lost to the annals of history, masked by the luxuries of the modern era and buried under the mountains of data and information that are available at our fingertips. These values are personal courage, lost with the ease of life and complacency that has flourished. 
I'm going to pause right there and go back to what I was saying about Marcus Aurelius and his meditations uh, and uh, Sean Culkin. Lost with the ease of life and complacency that has flourished. Yeah, personal courage. Marcus Aurelius talks about that shit. He talks about courage at length in the meditations, especially in book four, uh, probably uh, in, in the other books as well. But that courage is part of being able to handle weirdness and people move in your cheese. Continuing, honor, forgotten as the average civilian doesn't face their own mortality, whether through ignorance or accompanying complacency of the masses, nor do they feel the need to question the morality of their actions. Selfless service, actively avoided as, as it does not yield a profit outside of sensations of accomplishment by doing good without direct or tangible benefit beyond its moral quality. Respect. Disconnected through the advent of technology as actions acting without are capable of avoiding consequences when done from behind a keyboard or a computer screen. Duty. Further disconnected following respect as populations have lacked environments and scenarios where relying upon community within the meat space would serve as reminders that none of us are alone in any fight especially those around each other's rights. Loyalty, not to be confused with dogma, has all but been forgotten as each individual is incentivized to seek the greatest fiat returns for their individual words and actions as all are stuck on the fiat flywheel, all struggling to comply or simply remain afloat amongst a sea of debt. Integrity, the most important of all values, as none of the above virtues carry weight if integrity is found lacking or inconsistent. Integrity encapsulates the basis for which an individual's words and actions are deemed worthy of trust. Our discussions bring us to a conversation provided to us by John Vallis via the Bitcoin Rapid Fire podcast, where John is accompanied by Dr. Julie Poness. And the two field discussions around a wide range of topics, including philosophical, behavioral, sociological, and psychological mechanisms by which the slew of societal problems we are experiencing manifest themselves from. The conversation was not unlike the process of elimination one finds themselves partaking in when parsing out the steps traveled that culminated in an injury or an illness, attempting to identify the source of the affliction with the intent of avoiding falling victim to similar outcomes in the future. So I propose my point of view. A society's functionings and provided incentives when based upon a currency that is solely rooted in a lack of integrity, such as a fiat currency, produce a citizenry that ultimately adopts the values of the currency itself. And this brings us to the reason why the discussion between Vallis and Poness struck me so upon listening. Their points around social integrity and the general lack of them today are points that I have also made in conversations with BTC Sessions as well as Rob Sultan. I argue that modern society has progressed to where we are today due to the very simple aspect that because our currency lacks any semblance of integrity, as it requires no effort to produce, by this relation has produced a gravity well of attracting members of society that are most skilled just not in producing genuine utility and benefit to society, but in manipulation. With the aim of manipulating their way through authoritative hierarchies to progress ever closer to the spigot of the money printer. This is a concept that much of the Bitcoin community is accustomed to hearing at this point. Bitcoin is poised to provide a possible solution to this ever so potent of societal issues as the issue of integrity goes deep to the core of the soul of society itself. By bringing the basic yet complex operations of economics back to a source of integrity, by utilizing an asset that requires effort to produce, perhaps it is not too late for ourselves to correct this colossal ship before it is scuttled by way of our own foolish actions. Very much as Dr. Poness states, a true Greek tragedy. <laughs> yeah, Mike has good points. And again, I can't help but to think, you know, about the meditations from Marcus Aurelius. Integrity is everything. It is everything. And that doesn't mean that it's going to fix your little red wagon, by the way. It just means that you have a much better chance of survivorship with integrity than without, because without integrity, chances of you being manipulated into something that you 
just know is wrong and then forgetting that it's wrong is high, very high. Integrity gives you the chance to walk away. Integrity isn't fuck you money. It's just the ability to say fuck you with or without money. And that becomes important. And Mike's right. A lot of the shit that we're seeing today is the fact that money has no integrity. And if that's what we have to trade our time with, i.e. money, and that money has no integrity, then that converts our time that we spent getting that money into also having no integrity. Without integrity, you're going to be manipulated into something that you know is wrong and you're going to be there for so long, you're going to forget it's wrong and you're just going to lose yourself into the engine that is the grind that kills people, nations, cities, counties, farms, industries, you name it. It destroys everything it touches because without integrity, everything gets ripped apart. A stone has integrity and it remains a stone for a very long time, even being compressed underneath a glacier for centuries. A stone has that integrity. Be the stone. Be the stone. Goldman Sachs completes first OTC crypto options trade with Galaxy. Helen Parts, Cointelegraph. American investment bank Goldman Sachs continues to expand its cryptocurrency trading expertise by executing its first ever over-the-counter crypto options trade. Goldman Sachs executed its first OTC crypto transaction in collaboration with the trading unit of Michael Novogratz's cryptocurrency investment management firm, Galaxy Digital. According to a joint announcement on Monday, the OTC transaction was in the form of a Bitcoin non-deliverable option representing one of the first OTC crypto transactions by a major bank in the United States. Quote, we are pleased to have executed our first cash settled cryptocurrency options trade with Galaxy, said Max Mitten, Asia Pacific head of digital assets at Goldman Sachs. He noted that the development marks an important milestone in Goldman Sachs digital assets capability as well as for the broader evolution of the asset class. The latest collaboration between Goldman Sachs and Galaxy Digital also represents a continuation of the bank's partnership with Galaxy to improve its crypto capabilities. As previously reported, Galaxy facilitated the launch of Goldman Sachs Bitcoin futures trading product for CME Group in June of 2021. According to data from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, Goldman Sachs also offers its clients exposure to the... Ether cryptocurrency, ETH, through Galaxy Digital's Ethereum fund. Quote, we are pleased to continue to strengthen our relationship with Goldman and expect the transaction to open the door for other banks considering OTC as a conduit for trading digital assets. Galaxy Digital co-president Damian, Damian Vanderwilt said, Goldman Sachs is one of the biggest traditional financial institutions in the United States to be involved in the cryptocurrency industry. The financial giant is known for ba backing Circle, the blockchain technology firm operating the USDC. Uh, that's the USDC coin, right? The stable coin. The second largest stable coin by market capitalization. Last year, Goldman Sachs made a historic move into the cryptocurrency industry, launching its first ever trading services for BTC derivatives and Ethereum derivatives. I hate having to say it, but whatever. It is what it is, guys. It is what it is, especially when you go to Africa, because crypto users in Africa grew by 2,500% in 2021, as per a report reported on by Joseph Hall out of Cointelegraph. Cryptocurrency adoption in Africa is on the march despite socioeconomic factors and headwinds. A positive report by cryptocurrency exchange KuCoin showed that crypto transactions increased by up to 2,600% in 2022. An astonishing growth trend, the steep influx relates to the low values that have been observed during previous periods. The number of crypto transactions in Africa constitutes roughly 2.8% of global volumes. Johnny Liu, CEO of KuCoin told Cointelegraph that the adoption of digital assets in Africa will continue to grow exponentially, adding that African countries have the highest crypto adoption rate in the world, outperforming even the biggest regions such as the United States, Europe, and Asia. Nauru, founder of Bitcoin Senegal, is convinced that the thousand percent growth rates for Bitcoin adoption will continue in coming years. Quote, take a look 
at the way in which cars, mobile phones, and consumer electronics took off on the continent. Africa is a continent where lightning fast progression and adoption is common. In particular, the report cites that more than 88.5% of cryptocurrency transactions made by Africans are cross-border transfers. Low fees means that users pay less than 0.01% of the overall amount of the transaction transferred via cryptocurrencies. From high inflation levels and swelling smartphone penetration, effectively allowing anyone to become their own bank, Africa also has a young and digitally native population that is accustomed to digital currencies. Africa is a robust testing ground for the problems which cryptocurrencies attempt to solve. Liu did not add a note of caution, or he did add a note of caution to the staggering growth levels. Quote, the rate of growth can depend on both local policymakers and separate officials' stances on cryptocurrencies. Still, I believe that a promising future for digital money in Africa is inevitable, end quote. In Central and West Africa, for example, BTC adoption is growing against a backdrop of mistrust and discomfort using local currencies like the CFA. Cointelegraph has previously analyzed the state of crypto adoption in Africa, noting that economic opportunities presented by the region are immense. For Liu, Africa is an interesting sorry, Africa is in an interesting position given that the combination of growing inflation, high unemployment rates, poor access to bank services, and enormous fees for international payments creates an environment conducive to crypto adoption and ultimately, quote, financial problems the region is experiencing are forcing people to look for new instruments and technologies that can give them some of the economic freedom that they currently lack, end quote. In the long term, Africa hosts a wealth of advantages which cannot but contribute to the widespread use of digital assets among locals. The median age in Africa is very low at just 19 years old, and over 40% of the population is urban. Quote, another positive phenomenon is the growing technological awareness of the local population with many young people exploring programming and internet technologies. Guys, if you haven't heard me harp on this shit before, I, I couldn't give two shits about United States or Europe or Asia adopting Bitcoin. I'm looking at Africa, Latin America, the Baltics, the Balkans, lots of Eastern Europe shit. Now, especially Eastern Europe is going to be mega in play for God only knows how much longer. And all that, that's what I'm looking for. I, I mean, there's a shit ton of countries on the continent of Africa. And it's going to be a fight. This is what's going to be funny, is that Africa seems to be a battleground between China and the United States as far as natural resources is concerned. And right now, China has the greater penetration into Africa. And they're about to unleash this digital wand everywhere. Okay, it's not just going to stay in China, right? So one of the insertion points for the digital wand is going to be Africa and is going to have every relationship that it could possibly have with rare earth minerals that are being mined out of Africa. Then you got the United States that want to combat against that and they're going to come into Africa and it's going to be like this battle. And yet the people that are on the ground, the Africans themselves in their myriad countries are going to stand up and say, no, we don't need either one of y'all's bullshit money. We have Bitcoin. And when that happens, China and the United States are going to be looking around like, well, fuck, we, we don't even have a real battleground here. What happens when the, when the countries of Africa become so wealthy that they don't need either China nor the United States? What happens when Latin America experiences the exact same thing? All of a sudden, a lot of teeth get pulled. And I need, I want to see a lot of teeth getting pulled. I want to see the United States, Europe, Asia, Australia, all that shit. I want to see them lose a lot of their power because that power has essentially been held together by keeping countries poor, keeping countries needing the United States dollar, needing something that only America or China or Europe or whatever can offer. And once that isn't needed any longer, and by the way, we haven't, we haven't been able to give Africa anything other than fiat currency. We don't have a lot of 
you know, stuff going to Africa that is a physical good, not like China sending their shit over to the United States. The only thing that we're really exporting to these poor ass countries is shitty money, money that has no integrity. That's what we've been exporting to these people. We've been forcing them to believe that if they don't use our money or somehow use a money that is directly fucking connected to this shit, then they ain't going to make it. And that ain't true. And Africa is probably going to one day wake up and they're going to give the finger to the United States, to Europe and to China. And it's going to be a whole different ball game because right on the heels of that, if not just slightly before is going to be all of Central and South America. I guarantee it. And once those two places are fired up and they don't need China or the United States, the entire world is completely rewritten. Values, integrity, honor. Maybe they'll all flow back into the citizenry of the world. What a wonderful place to live. Because right now, the place that we live is kind of a shithole, honestly. But that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Monday is always a good day for a joke from Dad Says Jokes. Daddy, why do bees stay in the hive in the winter? Swarm. All right, so I'm just going to let you stew on that for a while. Um, What have we learned today, boys and girls? Well, we've learned that Africa is probably going to be a surprise to a lot of world powers uh, in in a way that that I don't think the world powers are going to be able to deal with bombing an entire freaking continent into, you know, submission. It it just it, it doesn't work that way. You'd have to release you'd have to carpet bomb them with nuclear weapons. And and then at that point you just kill all the infrastructure and all the people, so that's not going to work. We've also learned that you should probably pick up Marcus Aurelius's meditations and start looking at stoicism, you know, whether or not you've got, you know, like issues that you're trying to deal with, like Sean Culkin, myself, that kind of thing. Um, if you are dealing with something like, I don't know, like your job doesn't seem right anymore, or you've got to move or, or something that's completely out of your control. One of the things that Marcus talks about is, Humans have this bad habit of not taking the road that God offers them. Now, in Marcus Aurelius's time, he speaks of the gods because they were still polytheistic at that time. He was ruling around 170, uh, I think it was 170 after Christ was born. Um, and at that point, the yeah, the Christians had just started coming up And it was pissing everybody off in Rome or in the Roman Empire because they were not polytheistic. They were, they refused to worship any of those guys. And they just, you were just talking about God all the time. And it was really pissing these people off. But still, the way that Marcus talks about the gods is very much the same way that I hear Christians talk about God and saying, look, when, when something happens, you know, the whole, the whole, when God closes a door, the, he also opens up a window. Yeah, that shit's old. It was a lot older than I thought because essentially Marcus is talking about that. And he's like, how do you, how do you, in what ways do you deal with having to do something that you don't want to do? You know, I mean, and I'm not talking about paying taxes. I'm talking about like, like, let's say moving to a state that you never would have considered ever moving to. And instead of being mad and pissed off about it, maybe it's an opportunity. And if you have a perception that it's going to be bad, then only bad things can follow. And it's, he talks about one of the things that I found most interesting was when Marcus was talking about, or generally speaking, stoicism. There are objects and there are events and they exist completely by themselves. 
they don't have a will. They don't have a notion. They're, they're not scheming. They're just things that happen. And then when we look at those objects and or events, what perception, what, what lensing do we put in front of our eyes and those objects and events? If the lensing that we put in between us is good or bad, then that colors our perception of the events and the objects. Again, the events and the objects have no malice. They don't exist that way. So when something happens and you're like, uh, it comes down to our, our own mind as to whether or not we're going to ingest this thing that has no malice as good or bad. And honestly, I should have been thinking this way. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's scary to think that I used to think this way a long time ago when I was a kid and I forgot how to think that way. And now I've actually got to practice thinking in this completely new way. But I highly recommend picking up Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. If you ever wanted to know about Stoicism, this is a really good place to start and get one of the later translations, like one of the more modern translations. I think the one I'm reading is uh, 2021. And uh, the, the older, the, the newer translations are, I think would probably serve you well because they're written in language that is easily understandable. And that they did a lot of work trying to translate, you know, the old Greek and old Latin and shit into modern English and mo the other modern languages. So get that, read it, and I'll see you on the other side of all this shit. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.